Welcome and thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Dot Mill Docs, the Military Health System's official podcast. I'm Russell Carlson and it's Thursday, December 31st, 2009. It's our last episode of 2009 and we at the Military Health System want to wish you a healthy, safe, and happy new year. Our guest this week is Ron Horn, Deputy Director for the Transition Assistance Program, also known as TAP. TAP services are provided for a successful transition back to civilian life. Mr. Horn, welcome to Dot Mill Docs. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to have been invited to participate in your program. Sure. Well, we're happy to have you here. Um, so let's get started by just talking about what the DOD Transition Assistance Program is. The Department of Defense Transition Assistance Program uh, began in fiscal year 92. Uh, it was passed in the fiscal year 91 National Defense Authorization Act. Uh, the initial program uh, was designed to provide information on benefits, resources, and services uh, that service members who are eligible uh, could take advantage of prior to leaving active duty. This was to help them to learn about their benefits and support information once they return to wherever they're going to go back home to uh, once they left active duty. As most people know, many military, especially enlisted personnel, uh, but many officers as well, go back to their home of record uh, where they may have enlisted when they first joined the military. Uh, in some parts of our country, uh, there may or may not be a military inf uh, installation infrastructure there. So the idea of the program was to make them aware of those support systems uh, by other federal agencies who are partners with us in this whole program. Uh, we are trying to ensure that their transition from active duty back to the civilian community is a smooth one, it's a seamless one. I will say that the program is not just a DOD program. Uh, the three big players are the Department of Defense, the Department of Labor, and the Department of Veterans Affairs. So this is like really an interagency operation? It really is. It actually, it is not, it, it is truly an interagency partnership among those three. And we also have an agreement with the Department of Homeland Security uh, because of Coast Guard personnel who are also entitled to the Transition Assistance Program. Of course, they receive theirs through DHS, not DOD. But the Coast Guard Program Manager for TAP, which is our acronym for the Transition Assistance Program, does sit on a, a group. We have a meeting. We try to meet once a quarter with the program managers from each of the services, and we meet a second time with what we call a TAP Steering Committee. And the TAP Steering Committee consists of representatives from DOD, the Department of Labor, Veterans Affairs, and the military services, and the Coast Guard. Uh, the program uh, is, is very unique. Uh, we sort of break it down into five pieces. Uh, the first piece is required for all separating service members, and by separating, I'm talking about anybody who leaves active duty, whether they're separating with less than 20 years or a person retiring with 20 years or more. Uh, for the active duty service member, they're all required to get what is called pre-separation counseling, and that is an overview, a very general overview 
of about 14 topics that Congress mandated we address in counseling or coaching our service members before they leave active duty. During the interview process, or during that session, I shouldn't call it interview process, but during that counseling session, the member can ask for more information on a given topic. Let's say the counselor is talking about education, and let's say they're explaining to them uh, they are eligible for the Montgomery GI Bill based on them paying until the, the post, this is the pre-9-11 GI Bill, under the post-9-11, of course, there is no payment. But the council will give them very basic information on the 9-11 GI Bill, and for those who didn't cross over, the pre-9-11 GI Bill. If the member wants more detailed information that goes beyond the knowledge and scope of that counselor, they will then refer them to a subject matter expert on the installation, usually the education center on all education areas, and they will do a follow-up appointment with someone at the education center, and that person will answer all of the more in-depth, detailed questions. And that's true for any category that's on what we call our checklist. To carry out pre-separation counseling, there's a checklist for the active duty service member, and there's a separate checklist for demobilizing National Guard and Reservists. And the council walks through that checklist with the member, explains each topic, and there are blocks on the form where the member can say, yes, I want more information, or no, I don't. If they say, no, they don't, the council then goes on to the next topic. That is mandatory, and pre-separation counseling is required for us to do no later than 90 days before members separated if we know that they are an anticipated loss. Uh, those service members who are unanticipated losses, somebody that may be processed out of the service due to medical reasons that was unexpected, we consider those unanticipated losses, and we have to perform preservation counseling as soon as possible before they leave active duty, but we're not required to do it within that 90-day window. The other components of the transition program are really conducted by our partners. The Department of Labor does a two-and-a-half-day employment workshop, and they address everything from resume writing uh, to uh, cover letters, dress for success, how to conduct job searches, how to conduct job searches using the Internet. They cover a gamut of topics. And the service member is able to get a baseline start on looking for employment through that workshop. That's voluntary. If the member asks to go, we certainly hope the commanders and senior non-commissioned officer leadership in the unit releases them to go, but that is not mandatory by law. Okay. The third component is what we call the VA benefits briefing. That, too, is voluntary. Uh, the member gets to learn about all the VA benefits that they may be entitled to. Let me emphasize may. The purpose behind the pre-separation counseling is to get the member to enroll in the VA benefits class that will take place on that installation. And they set up a schedule 12 months out based on history. And so they know that, uh, let's say, at one installation, they may have two VA briefing sessions uh, a month. Another installation may have one a month. Some very small installations where they have maybe less than five people separating a year, they may only do a VA briefing once a quarter. Uh, 
But that is worked out at the local level with the local installation transition manager and the regional VA director uh, who sets up the schedule. At any rate, once they get scheduled for the VA briefing, they'll go back uh, and do that briefing on the installation with a VA member. VA provides the staff and all the materials that's connected with that particular briefing. And then those members who are leaving the military with a service-connected disability, they are entitled to go to another briefing, and it's called DTAP, and that stands for the Disabled Transition Assistance Program. Mm -hmm. Those members are able to learn about the potential programs and benefits they may be entitled to uh, based on their rating from VA for disability rating. And the reason I keep using the word maybe, until the service member actually applies for a benefit and is adjudicated, one can't really say that they are eligible to receive the benefit. They're definitely eligible to apply, and we can do enough pre-work in the counseling sessions to pretty well be assured that they, they will qualify for something, but they won't know any of that until they actually submit their application for a VA benefits briefing, or a benefit, let me correct myself, for a VA benefit. And until the VA system processes that application and adjudicates it, then and only then does the member know for sure if they are going to receive that benefit. And that's because DOD has no, we have no sway over VA and what they decide. No, absolutely not. Right. Uh, now, there are certain, for those members who may be leaving the service due to a disability, uh, some members may be entitled to certain DOD benefits, and they will be informed about that by their military service. For example, uh, those who may be processing out of the service uh, may be entitled to, uh, let me give you this example, a person who is involuntarily being separated. Uh, they're being separated not because they want to, but something else has occurred. They are entitled to 180 days of TRICARE uh, if there's a TRICARE provider near where they live or a military treatment facility. Uh, that doesn't apply to voluntary separatees. So a person with a normal separation date who decides they are ready to move on and do something else in their life, they're not entitled to a 180-day medical benefit, but those who are involuntarily separated are. So they get those 180 days after separation. After separation. Right. Also involuntary separatees are entitled to two years of commissary and post-exchange benefits. Again, all that occurs after they separate. Uh, the fifth piece, and, and when I say the fifth piece, I've already talked about pre-separation counseling. The Department of Labor Employment Workshop is part two. The VA Benefits Briefing is part three. DTAP is part four. I like to describe those as more or less formal type presentations or briefings. It's interactive in a classroom environment or it's one-on-one -on -one counseling. But when those four core components have been completed, the member then returns to the installation transition office, and from that point on, all of the assistance that's given to them is one-on-one -on -one counseling. So they let's say they finish as much of their resume as they can finish. They still need to do work on it. They can go back to that transition office, and that transition counselor will assist them 
in whatever they need help on in finalizing their resume so that they can begin to put it out to compete for getting a job interview. If they need more one-on-one assistance on medical benefits information or how to access the Internet once they're home, the counselor will assist them on that. Is this a counselor who will be assigned to them, or could this be a team of counselors uh, working with them? It varies by service and installation. Uh, Most transition offices, and I use the word transition as a generic term, uh, for example, the Army calls their program Army Career and Alumni Program, or ACAP. So they will send a person to an ACAP center to get these services. Uh, the Navy uh, sends theirs to their Fleet and Family Support Center. Same services, different group of counselors. Counselors may be uh, in uniform. They may be federal employees. They may be contractors. So basically, they get a counselor based on when they either walk in or schedule themselves for an appointment. I would generally say the services do their best to try to make sure that if they start working with one counselor, that's who they'll work with until they actually leave active duty. But sometimes that can't be guaranteed because of workload. And some of those counselors do other duties beyond just transition. But for the most part, the installations do their utmost best to ensure that the member works with the same counselor. Because, again, once they start with that individual, they develop a sense of uh, security, and the counselor develops a sense of understanding as to what that member is really trying to do to fulfill their aspirations once they leave the military. And one point I'd like to make up, I know a lot of news media talks about our veterans having difficulty finding employment, and certainly that is a true statement for, for a number of them. But not every one of our separating service members is looking for employment. Many of them are using their Montgomery GI Bill to go back to school full time. Oh, okay. And so I think it's important to note that education is a critical benefit that they've earned, and we strongly encourage them in this very high-tech, high-competitive employment environment to use their education benefits because, one, they've earned it. Two, that is one way to ensure that they're competing with their contemporaries who have been in educational academic institutions uh, when they may have been on active duty. And the, and the GI Bill will expire after a while for that member, right? But the member of GI Bill expires 10 years after uh, they separate. Uh, I'm not the expert on the post-9-11 MGIB. Right. I really can't say for certain if the 10-year expiration applies to the post-9-11 MGIB. Okay. But the pre-9-11 MGIB uh, does expire 10 years after the member separates. Uh so that's basically the program. It's, it's these five, we call them components, that uh, the member can go through. Uh, they can get scheduled for the VA benefits briefing, the DTAP briefing, or the employment workshop. When they go through pre-separation counseling, that's when the counselor schedules them for those follow-on uh, benefit sessions with the appropriate federal installation. And, again, the interagencies, the Department of Labor and VA, they put those counseling sessions on at the military installation. The member doesn't have to go off base to get those services. Now, we'll say this. In some areas uh, around our military installations, the Department of Labor has, uh, we call them uh, Department of Labor uh, one-stop career centers, 
which really are outstanding, and we try to encourage every service member, as soon as they get relocated back home, to go in and go to their career one-stop center. Uh, veterans get uh, priority service at those centers, uh, and those centers can do a whole lot to help them connect with employment much earlier than if they're out there sometimes struggling on their own. And where would those be located? There are 3,200 throughout the entire United States. Wow. And a good source to locate where they are located, mm -hmm. as well as any of the VA offices where they need to apply for any of their VA benefits, is on the official Department of Defense website, which is called TurboTap. Okay. And the website is, of course, www.turbotap, all one word, not upper lowercase sensitive, dot org. www.turbotap.org. Yes. Okay. That website is a gateway to all the information that they are getting in all of these counseling sessions. And it serves as an augmentation to what they're getting in the classrooms or in the one-on-one -on -one counseling session. And the website is organized uh, with the component for employment. There's a component on the website for all the VA information. There are guides for the active duty and National Guard, and it's organized in the same format as the pre-separation counseling checklist that's done for both active duty, Guard, and Reserve. So both of those documents works like an outline or roadmap, and they can go to any of the chapters and the guides and look up any information regarding any of the benefits or resources. There are hyperlinks within the guide that they can click on and don't have to come out of it. And any of the resources that have 1-800 numbers where they can call up, those are also listed in the guides as well. It is a wealth of information. So, so how does the program actually work? If, say, I was a service member, I'm, I'm due to separate. Um, what kind of timelines am I talking about? How do I how do I get involved? What we encourage in terms of policy is that a person separating with a known separation date should start the transition process 12 months before separation. Oh, full year. A full year. Retirees should start 24 months before their known retirement date. And let's assume a retiree doesn't know their retiree date. I would say anyone that reaches the 18th year mark, which means they're eligible for retirement, of course, at the 20-year mark, mm -hmm. they should really go ahead and start the transition process. Yeah, so even if you don't know if you're going to leave. <clears throat> That's correct. Because it is a wealth of information. It is overwhelming when you wait till the last minute and you're trying to cram all of this stuff in added to the stress, and there is normal stress in any transition, and I'm using transition more generically than just this program. Sure. But any time a service member, even if they were PCSing from one installation to another, I don't care how many times you do it, there's always a level of normal stress. There will be a level of normal stress when one is transitioning from active duty back to the civilian community. And we're trying to get them started early enough so they can plan to do things on a step-by-step -step timeline. On the TurboTap website, there is an annex that actually has a timeline if you start the process 24 months or 12 months. And under each of those timelines, 
it will tell the member what they should accomplish 12 months to 9 months. During the 9-month to 6-month window, during the 6-month to 90-day window, the 90-day window to 30-day window, and in 30 days or less. It has prescribed everything the members should try to accomplish in those windows that makes up the entire program. And the same thing applies to a person leaving uh, that's retiring with 24 months left on active duty. Now, that's the timeline. But here's how the program works. Uh, the military departments have uh, transition offices at approximately 215 military installations around the world. The installations will contact their personnel offices, and they get what we call a loss roster. Who's leaving my installation over the next 12 months? Who's leaving my installation over the next 180 days? They then contact the units and tell the units, these service members are scheduled to leave the service. You need to get them to uh, come in and schedule themselves for pre-separation counseling so we can begin the TAP process. And then the members get scheduled to go into that office to do that. And, of course, once they're there, the member is then carried through pre-separation counseling, and they get to uh, get informed about attending the other workshops that's provided for them. All the steps we talked about earlier. All the steps we talked about earlier. And so, as you can see, uh, let's say a member is leaving the service 1 July of 2010, mm-hmm. and they, they're just starting one, let's say, the fourth next week, the 4th of January. Well, they've lost almost eight months close to six months of getting things done. So their 12-month window now is squeezed into six months. And so let's say when they're going in January, let's say a lot of people schedule themselves, let's say at Fort Hood, Texas, before the holidays to go into the classes at the beginning of the year. It is conceivable that the classroom seats may be booked up through January and part of February. So the earliest that member may be to get into an employment workshop could be March. Well, now you're looking at the window really getting narrow. So if you start thinking about how much has to be done, 12 months is not that much time. And if you think about the fact that on top of all of this, the member is still trying to get their family, if they're married, packed, relocated. You know, they have to make decisions on, am I going back to my home of record? Am I going to relocate to another part of the country? Am I familiar with that part of the country and its job market? Do I know if there's TRICARE if I'm retiring? Is there a TRICARE provider within proximity of where I'm retiring? There are a number of questions they have to ask themselves and research they must do so they can make an informed decision. The earlier the better. Uh, so basically, they go through these sessions. That's how the program works. Uh, spouses of transitioning service members are eligible for employment assistance. That's one of the requirements of our law and our policy. And so a spouse of a transitioning service member, one who's separating or being discharged, can also get employment assistance through the transition office or the Army ACAP office for any of the services. And let me make one point about the use of the services. We have reciprocity among all of our services. So if an Air Force person lives closer to an Army installation versus works there, that Army installation will let them go through their transition program because the core program is identical for everybody. So on our joint basis, let's say the primary service on a joint basis Air Force, 
Every service member on that base that's leaving the service can use the Air Force Transition Office. We do not make a service member go to their own sister service for transition. It makes it easier on them. We want to make it as easy as possible so the services uh, exercise this wonderful sense of reciprocity with each other. They want the member to go to the transition office that's most convenient for them. And the level of service and quality is absolutely outstanding. And it's all free. Sure. I guess if I get frustrated, it's when I look at numbers and somebody doesn't go to some of the free workshops. Uh, I understand they may feel they don't need them, uh, but many times they don't know certain things that that workshop or that counseling session will give them. Right. So I wish they would, especially on the VA side, everybody needs to go to the VA benefits briefing. Okay. And if you definitely don't have a job guaranteed to you before you leave the service, you need to set through the Department of Labor's employment workshop. And, and what about VA disability claims? Um, During the VA the overall briefing, which is the big briefing, mm-hmm. you are briefed, uh, you're told about the claims process, but that's where the DTAP program kicks in. You really get an in-depth briefing on the Vocational Rehabilitation Program, mm-hmm. which is an, another whole new program for those leaving with a disability. But you will also be told about the claims process by the pre-separation counselor. Uh, VA has two programs that we are really pushing. We call them the pre-discharge program. The first one is the Benefits Delivery of Discharge. We use the acronym BDD. Mm-hmm. Any member who has 180 days left on active duty should apply for the disability program, file their claim under the disability program, but the criteria is as follows. They must have a known separation date. They can only apply for it as early as 180 days, and they they can't apply for it any later than 60 days left on active duty. If they meet that criteria, the VA will schedule them for a single joint examination. They only get one examination. They turn in all of their health records, and VA normally gets that claim adjudicated within 45 to 60 days after the member has left active duty so they know what their, their rating is, and if they are getting an entitlement, they will start getting that entitlement very shortly. And this is regardless of whether they think they have any kind of ailment or, or illness yeah. or injury. Yeah, we think if they think they have an ailment or illness, they need to file the claim. Let the VA system work. If they don't, they've lost nothing. Sure. But if they do, they may be entitled to a benefit payment that can start as early as 60 days after they leave active duty versus wait until you leave active duty now you're going through the administrative burden of my records got to be found at some records holding center. Mm-hmm. They've got to be sent to the VA office. I got to send my application to the VA office. I might not do it until six months after I leave active duty. So all of a sudden, a claim that could have been processed before you left active duty, you could now be out there six months to a year trying to get that process done. And VA wants members to do it sooner, not later. The second program for those who can't get it done or don't meet that criteria is called the Quick Start Program. 
they can file their claim up until one day before leaving active duty. But most likely they cannot get the they can't get the examination done in such short time. So they have to go home and then get the examination done. And obviously that means that's gonna take them longer. But even the Quick Stop program gets claims processed faster than the traditional legacy system that has been going on for years in VA. So we are really encouraging any service member who is going before on a medical evaluation board, a physical evaluation board, you should be processing your VA application before you leave active duty. Okay. Now, I know that there's also a disability evaluation system that's in, it's a pilot program. It's yes. in effect. Is this, how does this integrate or not integrate with that? The disability evaluation system pilot is only at selected installations. Okay. If a person is referred to the DES pilot by the physician, then that is used in lieu of the BDD or Quick Start program. It is also an accelerated adjudication of one's disability and validation of their disability claim. Okay, so you'll know because your physician will basically tell you. That is correct. Uh, first of all, the DS pilot uh, is not worldwide, and so it's not at every installation. But you know your physician, your medical staff will refer you to the DS pilot. And once you're in the DS pilot, that system is what you, the member files their claim in versus the BDD program or the Quick Start program. Okay. Now, is there any difference for, uh, say, Guard or Reserve Service members in all of this? No. Uh, I would say the, not a difference. The challenge is, of course, if the National Guard or Reservists uh, has deactivated, uh, getting all of their medical records is one of the major challenges. If the member has their most up-to-date medical records intact and can get their hands on them, because that's critical for the evaluation. But in terms of them applying for the program, there's no different. I will say this, so the National Guard and Reserves are not misled. Those who are demobilizing at the demobilization sites, we know it's impossible for them to file their claim under BDD because they're already beyond the 60-day window when they get back from the, from the war theater. They can file in the quick start, but the chances are almost zero that they're going to be able to get the application at the demo site, fill it out, make a copy of their records, and turn it in. Those who are on active duty, who are recovering, those are the ones that can certainly file under BDD, quick start, or they may be referred under the DS pilot. Uh, but if a National Guardsman person or reservist returns home, they should immediately contact their regional VA office, which might not be close to them, but they do it by phone, and they will get them started on processing their claim application immediately. So it sounds like this whole transition program is a very formal process, and the key is to get, get on it early. It is a formal process that has great flexibility built into it. And when I say a formal process, you know, I can lay it out for, you know, the, the five components, here's what happens. People's lives don't fall into those neat little boxes. Right. So when my, my recommendation to any service member is to go visit your transition or ACAP office. For the Navy, 
it starts with what they call their command career counselor. The command career counselor in the Navy does the mandatory pre-separation counseling. And once that uh, sailor leaves the pre-separation counseling session, they get scheduled for the other core formal pieces at their fleet and family support center. But yes, it is. It is. Uh, it really is. It sounds formal. Uh, it's very flexible. Uh, we also provide transition for uh, personnel that are incarcerated that are still on active duty, because the law says we do pre-separation counseling and we do transition. Uh, it did not stipulate the type of discharge. As long as you're on active duty, the services still have to meet that obligation. Okay, so no matter who you are, <clears throat> why you're you, leaving. That's correct. Uh, the other area I would like to address very briefly is uh, wounded, ill, and injured. The core program applies to every one of them. They get nothing less. Actually, they get more. There are many other programs that have been stood up to assist our wounded, ill, and injured. For example, we have the recovery care program. A service member with a 20% or less disability who may or may not return to active duty will be assigned what is called a recovery care coordinator. And that coordinator will assist them through their whole transition process to include getting them over to the transition office to begin transition, even though they may end up returning back to duty. Mm -hmm. We think that's a good thing. They've lost nothing. They've learned something about the process, and they end up going back to active duty if that's their choice. We also have federal recovery coordinators who work for the Department of Veterans Affairs, but they are generally located at our medical treatment facilities. Those are for service members who are most likely not going to return to active duty, and their, their disability will start at 30% and higher. Again, those coordinators, those individuals, will try to help pull together all the different programs to ensure that the member can develop what we call a comprehensive transition plan. And so if their their area of emphasis is my house needs to be modified, they need to get the VA to make sure they qualify for the home modification benefit. We are going to take a quick break for the .mildox health beat, news and information from the military health system. When we come back, we'll talk more with Mr. Horn about the future of TAP and how technology will play a key role in its development. .mildox health beat. Members of the armed forces are strong, healthy, and ready to accomplish their mission, a survey of their health-related behaviors has revealed. Defense Department officials have announced the final results of 2008's survey of health-related behaviors among active-duty military personnel. Active-duty Coast Guard personnel were included in the survey's cohort for the first time since the series of surveys began in 1980, providing the first comprehensive look at all active military On Thanksgiving Day, doctors from Walter Reed Army Medical Center and the University of Miami collaborated to perform the first pancreas islet cell transplant ever. 21-year-old Air Force senior airman Trey Porfirio was shot three times in the back by an insurgent in Afghanistan, leaving him with a pancreas injured so severely that it had to be removed. 
The Walter Reed surgical team caring for Porfirio put together a plan to ship the damaged pancreas to doctors at the University of Miami, who harvested the cells that produce insulin, and immediately shipped them back to Walter Reed to be transplanted into Porfirio's liver. Thanks to great civilian military medical cooperation, the procedure was successful. Porfirio's blood tests show his harvested eyelid cells are functioning well, and he is gaining strength back every day. Finally, a public service announcement for the Department of Defense and TRICARE-sponsored education campaign, Quit Tobacco, Make Everyone Proud, won a 2009 AVA Award. The AVA Awards recognize outstanding achievement in audiovisual materials and programs. The award-winning PSA can be seen in the video section at www.youcanquit2.org slash campaign materials. To get help quitting tobacco, visit www.youcanquit2.org. That's your .mil Docs Health Beat. For these stories and more, visit health.mil. For the military health system, I'm Ann Gordon. Welcome back to .mil Docs. Ron Horn, Deputy Director of the Transition Assistance Program, is talking with us today about the program, what it is, and how it impacts the lives of service members. What could service members and their families expect from the Transition Assistance Program in the future? We are rethinking and reshaping the program. We did an off-site uh, not long ago in November, and our philosophy is going to switch. Versus transition being what we call an event when you leave the military, we want to make transition a process that begins when you are accessed into the military, and it goes with you until internment. And so we are now looking at how do we make that happen and implement it. For example, a first-term service member who decides to leave the service, at what point should we start making sure they understand their career aspirations? Whether it's to stay in the military or leave, when should we make sure they have a clear understanding of their education benefits? Should we make sure they understand financial planning? Because you need to understand how the financial planning system works, whether you're leaving in three years, six years, 10 years, 20 years, or 35 years. Sure, so the earlier the better. The earlier the better. The course, the longer you stay, the more sophisticated your financial planning and readiness may be. Mm -hmm. But early on, you really want to make sure you understand some basics. You want to understand the TSP program if you're paying into it. You shouldn't be learning about those things 12 years after you've been paying into it and you just get your LES and there's something on the LES that tells you. You really need to understand it at the very beginning. And at key points throughout your military life cycle, we need to either conduct some kind of refresher or give you tips on here's a transition tip for you based on where you are in the military life cycle. As a mid-careerist, maybe you need a tip on comparing your military salary to a civilian counterpart salary. So if you leave the military after 12 years, you know the kind of money you need to make to maintain your quality of life. You don't want to find that out once you decide you're leaving the service. So we're looking at transition becoming part of your military life cycle throughout the process, realizing that as you end your career, you will get a heavier dose of it. But most of it you should be familiar with. 
The other thing that we're looking at in the transition program is finding ways to leverage technology so that members can use all the technological tools that's available to them. You know, our millennial generation is really not the type of generation that really absorbs information in a classroom environment listening to PowerPoint presentations. <laughs> right. that, that is not a hit against PowerPoint presentations or sitting in a classroom. <laughs> they have grown up in a different technological world than we, some of us baby boomers grew up in. So using Facebook, using Twitter, using uh, uh, text messages, uh, all of those things we are now looking at, how do we make those things work for us in helping our members with their transition? So you're helping to bring social media and the, and the other media sources that that demographic uses into the program. Yes, we are. And we kicked that off right after our off-site. David Dubois, our director of operations here at the Wounded Warrior Care and Transition Office, uh, started a transition Facebook so Facebook for DOD TAP is up and alive and running. Oh, so you're there. And anyone that has a Facebook account, I strongly encourage them to go onto Facebook or tap Facebook and see all the wonderful information that's already out there for them. All right. And that's active duty, National Guard, reservists, spouses, and any of our wounded, ill, and injured. Okay. We'll get a link to that on health.mil, too. Thank you very much. That would be greatly appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. So in addition to those things, we are also looking at where do we need to make changes in policy and legislation? Uh, where do we develop performance standards? Because we need to start measuring how well we are doing with this program. Mm -hmm. And we need to make sure we are fulfilling our responsibilities for accountability to the taxpayers. And so we are working very hard to develop some very concrete performance-based measures so that we can start measuring how we're doing. We can start seeing where there are gaps. Where do we need to make better enhancements? Uh, we have created a separate working group to help us with the transition program with members of the National Guard and Reserves. That is brand new. Uh, as a historical footnote, when the program was first created back in the early 90s, it was really designed for the active duty service member. It was part of the overall plan to help us draw down the force, but it was to be permanently left in place. It wasn't just a temporary program. But at that time, you know, we did not have this massive call-up of our National Guard and Reserve. Right. With the call-up in the war, of course, we've had to change our whole direction of the program. And so now we, make, we want to make sure that in all of our planning, all of our thinking, and all of our meetings, we have representation for the National Guard and Reserve. In fact, Colonel Corey Lyman from the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Reserve Affairs sits on the TAP Steering Committee and is a player in our TAP Managers meeting when we meet, and he was a key player in helping us develop our off-site, and uh, he was instrumental in recruiting representatives from the Reserve and National Guard components. So we think the future TAP is bright. We think we have a long way to go. We have done some wonderful things. We have serviced several millions of people since 1991. But we feel 
TAP needs to be designed and developed in a way that when the member needs it, that's when it's there for them. Okay. And that's a critical shift versus a member walking into a brick-and-mortar building and getting services. We think we can offer all of it. For those who are more comfortable going to a facility on a base, we want to make sure that's in place. For those members like our National Guard and Reservists and many of our overseas service members who are at remote and isolated sites and don't have that installation infrastructure or brick-and-mortar support system, we want to make the transition program as accessible and available to them as the person who is at, on, or near a military installation. Total access is the direction we want to go. Well, Mr. Horn, um, this has been a valuable and in-depth discussion on the Transition and Assistance Program, and I want to thank you so much for speaking with us today. And I want to thank you very much for this wonderful opportunity to share the program with the listening audience. Absolutely. Thank you. And that does it for us this week on .mil Docs. The website that Mr. Horn was talking about again is www.turbotap.org. Join us next week when .mil Doc returns on Thursday with a visit from Colonel Charles Engel of Walter Reed Army Medical Center. He'll discuss the deployment health continuity of care for mental health that heals the wounded and builds their trust. Until then, see you on health.mil. This program is a product of the Office of the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Health Affairs, Military Health System. .mil Docs features the most relevant military health topics important to you and your family. If you have questions or topics you'd like to see on an upcoming episode, send us an email at .mildocs at tma.osd.mil. That's D-O-T-M-I-L-D-O-C-S at tma.osd.mil. Visit health.mil for more episodes. 